Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, journalists are often called upon to report on a situation on the ground that they themselves are experiencing or deeply affected by. For journalists in Gaza, the urgency and risks of doing this are magnified by the intensity of Israel's bombing campaign for Hamas's unprecedented attack on October 7th, and by the fact that few others can share the burden of bearing witness for the rest of the world. Israel and Egypt have barred most foreign journalists from the Strip. This hour, we meet journalists on the ground in Gaza and those who were forced to flee and hear their stories. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Journalists have been reporting from Gaza amid intense airstrikes, unpredictable cell or internet service, scarce food and water, and a constant fear for the safety of loved ones. And there are too few of them. The Committee to Protect Journalists says at least 85 reporters and media workers have been killed since the conflict began, sometimes when wearing vests emblazoned with the word press. Others have been forced to leave for their families' safety. Meantime, foreign journalists have been denied entry. This hour, we meet Palestinian journalists in and outside Gaza committed to bringing what's happening there to the outside world, and joining me first are two journalists in Gaza, Adel Zanun, Bureau Chief for Agence France Presse, or AFP. Adel, thanks so much for being with us. Also with us is Mai Yeti, a correspondent for AFP as well. Yeah, welcome. Mai, appreciate having you on too. Yeah, welcome. Thank you, Adel. I understand you are joining us under such difficult circumstances as I just described. And Mai, are you also there? Yes, yes. Yes, hello. Yes, hi. So I understand you are both in Rafa. Mai, maybe I'll start with you. Can you tell us about it and describe the situation in Rafa right now as you are seeing it? Mm. Mm. I think maybe we are experiencing some of the very difficulties that I have talked about. Adele, maybe you can tell us about the situation in in Rafa. Okay. Uh, The situation in Rafa is very, very difficult and very, very dangerous. Uh, in the last few hours, it was some airstrikes, including on the uh, near the border between Rafah and the Egyptian uh, Egyptian side. Uh, it was uh, also tanks shell on east of uh, Rafah. 
but in the same time, I, I want to speak about the general situation. There is no electricity. For example, I'm using uh, my mobile lights. Uh, uh, there is no electricity everywhere. Not only in Rafah, uh, everywhere in Gaza Strip. Uh, we we are as as journalists we we are suffering to to get uh, food to get uh, water for for drink to get uh, medicine and most of people most of the people not only in Rafah every yes i cannot imagine how difficult it must be to report from there and and even now to have to catalog your your difficulties i i I know you describe an airstrike happening there. We hear those words, but can you help us understand what it is like to be in an airstrike and trying to report what is happening? Can you give us just a sense of it on a sensory level, either Adel or Mai? Mai, are you there? And it looks like it looks like we may have lost the connection with both of them. Such a reflection of the challenges of getting stories from the ground in Gaza. I want to bring more people into the conversation right now. Rushdi Abu Aluf is a Gaza correspondent who is now based in Istanbul and reports for the BBC. Rushdi, thank you for joining us. Hello. Also with us is Yumna El Seed, an Al Jazeera English correspondent now speaking to us from Egypt. Yumna, thanks for being with us as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me in your show. So I I was asking Adele the question about trying to report amid an airstrike. And I know that you had to do this several times before you left for Egypt. Can you describe what it's like to be in that situation? What is going through your mind? Um, actually, a lot of mixed feelings. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, to to comprehend what's happening in the midst of great fear, in the midst of, um, you know, despite being a reporter or a correspondent, at the same time, you're a human being. So, yes, you're terrified by the sounds of bombs. This is something that you can't really control. You can't control how, you, how much your heart hurts you at, at those moments. I, I used to feel my heart, for instance... Sometimes um, I used to feel that uh, it's difficult to actually take my breath. And at the same time, I want to continue reporting professionally. So it's, it's, not, really, it's not really an easy thing. And it's not that mo- what most people or regular people watching us on the screens think that as a correspondent or a journalist or a reporter, you're supposed to be used to all these sceneries. You're supposed you're supposed to be used to to all the uh, challenges and struggles and fears, and you actually don't feel any of them. It's like we're not we're not super people. We're just human beings, like any other human being. And I understand it was an airstrike. Uh, that was near your your family that also led you to to have to leave Gaza City and and head south. In that time, when you heard that there was one close to your family, 
what what happened? Were you able to to communicate with them? Were you able to to understand what was what was going on and if they were safe quickly? Um, when I was actually reporting, well, so this happened multiple times. Uh, once or at the beginning of the war, when this happened, I was actually reporting from the bureau and from the field while the neighborhood where my home is, where my family is, was under very heavy bombardment. And I had to report about that. I actually had to report about how close uh, that area was getting targeted and, and, and the sites in that neighborhood. And I knew, like more than anyone else, of course, what I was reporting about, uh, how, how close this site or location is from my home. And I would I would try between lives just to 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 text my husband or to call him. Communications were quickly getting uh, disconnected, and I remember that same day, the the part of the the bombardment that happened was on the telecommunications company, which caused a mass disconnection in all the uh, phone signals. So it was instantly very difficult to actually co co connect with them. Um, they had to take shelter in the basement where there are no signals at all. And I wasn't able to reach them. It was, it was really terrifying for me. I felt like I'm, 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 not, able to, I'm not able to stand with sanity and, and um, just you know, pretend that everything is okay and I'm, I'm doing my work uh, in, in, a, in a very professional way, while at the same time, I know that what I'm reporting about or what I'm commenting about in, in, in my live reports is that my family itself is under bombardment or they're unsafe or what's happening to them. How worse has it become? My, are you there, My, I, I wanted to ask you about the sense of security that journalists feel when they're out in the field, especially when they're wearing their vests and helmets that clearly mark them as journalists. Did you feel a sense of safety with that? And do you feel it now? I'm sorry, I think we have lost my Adele. Are you there? Are you able to answer that question? And I think we've also lost Adele. Well, Rushdie, you have been covering... Yeah, I can't take this one. I can't oh, take this okay. One. Adel, thank you. We've restored the connection. <laughs> yeah, one, one day I remember I was with Adel. In oh, the, uh, this is Rushdie, I'm had, sorry. Yeah. And we had this situation where about like four or five airstrikes like targeted like entire neighborhood and we were right in the middle. And, and that day, I, I remember I, I thought that this was very close. And we were, I was with Adil in the uh, village called Venezuela near the uh, Khan Yunis. Well, when we talk about wearing the, uh, uh, you know, the flag jacket, make you safe. Well, Samir yes. Abu Dakar Al Jazeera, uh, a cameraman, was wearing the one. And, and uh, while the Hadouh Al Jazeera correspondent was wearing his flag jacket when he was injured and he's now under you know, treatment in, in, in Doha and most of the journalists who were killed, they were wearing uh, uh, the flag jacket. So, uh, no, the flag jacket won't give you any uh, any difference because the the, uh, the 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 size of bombs that Israel is dropping there is huge. And 
doesn't matter whether you are in an armored car or wearing your your flag jacket or not. Uh, if you are targeted, if you are near uh, air strike, they won't protect you. They won't make you uh, you know make any uh, any uh, difference. And but yes, people try. They keep wearing them because they want the Israelis to identify them and to know that they are journalists. They are not a target. Uh, yes. and they continue to wear them but sometimes believe me we feel that they are useless Rushdi you have reported from Gaza for decades can you talk about how this conflict because you have had to cover many conflicts in years past how this time is so different and we just have about a minute before we enter the break but just to give our listeners a sense it's completely different when we have about 25,000 people killed, when we have about half of the population displaced, or like not half, like 2 million out of 2.3 million of the population are displaced, including your father, your family. Uh, it's different. Uh, when we have this number of journalists and, and uh, uh, activists killed in this war, it's different. We have covered many wars. It's the fourth and or the fifth one since the Hamas took over in 2007. But this is way, uh, way different and way more dangerous and way more painful, uh, not only for journalists, but for the, for all of the Palestinians who live in Gaza. We're talking to Palestinian journalists about their reporting and the dangers they face in a war that the Committee to Protect Journalists says has killed more reporters than any whole year of conflict in the last three decades. We're getting a glimpse, a rare glimpse, into what it's like also on the ground in Gaza. You, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What would you like to ask or tell our guests? Call 866-733-6786, email forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Nina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with Palestinian journalists in Gaza and journalists who recently left about what it's like to cover the news, the war, and to be the news at the same time. We're talking with Rushdi Abu Alouf, Gaza correspondent based in Istanbul. He reports for the BBC. Mayeri is a correspondent for AFP based in Gaza currently. Adel Zanun, bureau chief in Gaza as well for the AFP. Yumna El Seed is Al Jazeera English correspondent now speaking to us from Egypt. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation, as always, at 866-733-6786 on our social channels, on Twitter or X, Instagram, or on our digital community on Discord, at our email address, forum at kqed.org. What would you like to ask or tell our guests? Do you have ties to Gaza? 
What questions do you have? Where do you get information about the war in Gaza? Whom do you follow? And I, I know that we have been sort of in and out in terms of getting connection with Mai and Adele for understandable reasons in Gaza. But I do want to ask you, Mai, if you are there. Adele was talking a little bit about the humanitarian situation, and we've been hearing a lot about the situation with the UN and how nations have paused funding as a result of Israel saying that there were uh, members of UNRWA who were part of the attack on October 7th. And I'm wondering if you have seen any disruptions in the badly needed aid, possibly as a result of this pause and support from some nations. Have you seen that, Mai? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the last part of the question. Can you talk about the flow of aid? What is the flow of aid into Gaza like at this point, especially with recent concerns about the UN agency and pauses in funding? Actually, Actually, there is a severe lack of uh, fundamental aids coming into Gaza Strip because uh, of the Israeli war and because of closing uh, the crossing border. So people yeah, in the in the markets, uh, there is only specific kind of stuff and materials products are available, but there is lack of so many necessary products, uh, either, either, uh, even for food, water is, is not always uh, available, uh, food also, there's only specific or limited products in the market, and uh, the prices are really at least four to five double uh, higher prices. Hmm. So it's a struggle for for everyone in, in Gaza Strip to be able to get enough uh, food, water, and all basics, uh, basic things. Are you able to get enough food and water to be able to do your work, Mai? It's, even for us, it's, it's kind of a struggle. It's kind of a struggle because yeah, there's, many, there's many things which, is, which doesn't exist, for example. Uh, like coffee, for example, uh, it's very it's very hard to find coffee. Uh, men, uh, egg, eggs, it's very hard uh, also to find it. Meat, chicken, those stuff. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very difficult to find it. So yeah, we can uh, we we manage we, we manage to find enough food for us yeah, to survive, but it's still challenging. And for most other people, it's it's even worse for them, for people, for poor people. For, uh, it's it's more difficult and complicated for people. Are you trying to leave Gaza, Mai? Actually, yes. Uh, I've tried to to leave Gaza. Yeah, uh, this is the first war I cover while. Not, not the whole family is with me in uh, Gaza Strip. I have two kids, one daughter who left uh, Gaza Strip two months before the war. And when the war started, I only had my son, who turned 11 years old uh, last week. Uh, so he was with me in uh, the beginning of the war. And one month later, we we. We both have we both have the Swedish uh, citizenship, so we have uh, 
applied and registered to evacuate for evacuate, evacuation. Uh, but unfortunately, I uh, was banned and prevented to travel. And my my son, uh, why my son's name was on the list for evacuation. So I had myself to go deliver him to someone from uh, a diplomat from uh, the consul in uh, Rafah border. So he huh. had to meet uh, the whole journey by himself from Cairo, from uh, Rafah to Cairo. I couldn't okay. join him. So, so it you was are separated. Very, it was a very fast. Yeah, we are separated now. I'm only um by myself here in Gaza Strip. My daughter and my son are with uh, their dad, with my husband. It's now almost yeah, three months. I didn't see them. I'm trying to leave, but it's kind of complicated. Uh, I don't have uh, an Israeli permission to, uh, to leave Gaza. Hmm. Adel. Are you trying to leave? Would you leave if you could? And it looks uh, like me. I'm sorry, yes. I didn't hear Are you also what? trying to leave? Would you leave Gaza if you could? Uh, again, please. The internet is, is very weak. Adela, were you able to hear my question? It, it's okay if you were not. I yes, guess, yes. Yes. I, I'm wondering if you have also been trying to make efforts to leave as well. I know your wife was, and I was sorry to hear, injured in an airstrike. And so wondering if you've been trying to leave Gaza too. And and my broader point, Rushdi, is that okay. one of the concerns has been the extent to which what we may not be realizing is that we are really getting what's been described, I think, by the New York Times and others as just really a sliver of the story of what's really happening on the ground in Gaza. Do you worry about this, just in terms of, understandably, the need to leave and the need that you and your family had to leave? Yes, I mean, uh, there was some sound Adil was trying to uh, to speak. About leaving Gaza, you know, we were left with no option but to leave. I mean, the we nearly survived three, four, sometimes five airstrikes uh, uh, during the uh, like 45 days of the uh, the war that I have been in Gaza uh, covering. I was displaced four or five times within Gaza City twice, and then three times in Khan Yunis. And then when I left, the rest of my family were uh, had to move to uh, to Rafah. So we were all the time, uh, as, as, I, as I remember when. when when we used to be outside Gaza and something big is happening in Gaza, we used to take the next plane and go back to Gaza because we are based there and we are connected to the story and it's our hometown. But this time it's completely uh, difficult. And when you feel that you are unable to do your job because always in the back of your mind, in the back of your head is your family who you don't know exactly if they are safe or not. And most likely all of the time, you are worried about them, and uh, you you have uh, I mean you have to be you know professional journalists standing in the front of the camera telling the people what's going on. In order to do that, you have to feel at least comfortable. You have to feel that your family are safe, and and when you have this uh, uh, issue like you know irritating your mind day and night, you can't be you know performing as as a, as a normal person and and. Uh, I have been to other countries covering stories and when you are by your own, you manage your own safety and your own food and your own accommodation, you can live and you cover. 
But when you when your immediate family, your son and your daughters and your wife and your father, they are living this suffering. Believe me, it's very hard. So we were left by no choice but to uh, to leave because we have to uh, find a, a, like a safer place for the family. Yes. Is your home still standing, Rusty? No. I mean, I was told like a couple of, uh, like two weeks after I left Gaza, uh, when the tanks were withdrawing from the area, that the entire entire neighborhood was destroyed, including the journalist tower. It's the place that I lived for the uh, 20 years in it. We were, Adil used to live in the same building for 15 years, so... Uh, and it's completely destroyed. All of our belongings and all of our memories were buried under the uh, rubble of this uh, building. So very sadly to uh, to see like everything you have done for the last 25 years is gone. But at least we are safe. I mean, the what is what is making us strong and continue and is that we are, we I feel that my kids are not suffering anymore they are outside uh, Gaza and hopefully the rest of the colleagues May and Adil and, and all of the people who are suffering there they will have the chance to leave because they are really uh, tired and they are really trying we were together in the same tent like covering uh, day and night we were together like close in the same building in Gaza and in Hanunis for a month and hopefully I can see them all of them out and safe I was asking Adel if he is trying to leave, and I'm being told that you, Rushdie, are actually trying to help Adel leave. Is that right? How is that going? What are the complications? Well, it's it's very difficult uh, situation because now it seems that who is controlling, uh, who's uh, go in and out of Gaza is the Israelis. Uh, uh, it's a sort of a evacuation process. I was lucky enough because. Uh, I, I have a dual nationality, and my family have a dual nationality, and uh, we were lucky to get, to get our names on the list for uh, for leaving. Uh, it's way more complicated for the uh, Palestinian passport uh, holders, but I understand that the uh, everybody is trying to help Adil and me to uh, to leave, and hopefully they will succeed. But you know, the 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 number of people that. Are, are asking for leaving are huge and the number of people that Egypt is allowing is very little. Sometimes I saw some of the list like uh, 10 people uh, only allowed to leave in one day and uh, we need at least like, you know, 500, 600 every day so the process could be quicker and whoever wants to leave can leave. But unfortunately, this process is taking a lot of time for security checks, and some people are rejected uh, by the Israelis from leaving, I understand. So, Yumna, you had the opportunity to go to Egypt once before you finally made the decision to do that the second time. What kept you in Gaza? What made it, as you've described, one of the hardest decisions to make to actually leave the Strip? Yes, we... we, we, yeah. For so, me, for, um, yeah. Sorry. Yes, ahead, Nina. So, yeah. So for me, it's uh, a little bit different because I don't have a family in Gaza, and neither does my husband. So it was basically just me, my husband, and uh, our four kids. And um, having the opportunity to leave with my husband and kids, and not 
uh, sorry, with my kids and me to leave and, and my husband, he does not have a dual nationality like Christy was uh, just explaining. And that's usually only Palestinian uh, passport holders. There is a huge problem to bring them out of the Gaza Strip. So in the first opportunity, it was just me and my kids. And, and for me to leave him in that, in, in, in that brutal condition, in, in, in such a war, with everything that we have been through, with everything that we have experienced, it was, it was just not an option. I just, I didn't feel that it was, it was a, a humane thing or, 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 or act to do. I mean, it just felt like this whole world is against you. You can't be against the, the one person who is the other part of your life or the other half of your life. And like many families in Gaza, like many of my colleagues or almost all of them, they're originally Palestinians and they have their families, their extended families to support them, to help them out, to, 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 to stand with them. And for me, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that for my family. So there, there was a constant struggle with everything. It was just, it's either me or him and our kids that we needed to take care of and provide the food and the water and, and all those struggles and challenges and everything. I just, I, I didn't find it right to leave him. Let me go to caller Amy in Berkeley, who's on the line. Amy, go ahead. Yes, um... Your stories are heart-wrenching, and, and we're so heartbroken over this entire thing here. And I was just calling to ask, what is the best way that we can support you uh, now with the UNRWA funding pulled not only by the U.S., by our own government, by other governments? Um, we hear that a lot of the aid doesn't get through. Mm. It's being held up by the Israelis. So how can people who want to help end this starvation um, and the medical siege, how, how can we help you? Let me see if I can get... My on this, my Yeti. How, what are the best organizations to try to get support through if you want to help? My, are you there? Maybe Yumna, I can go back to you on that question then. Well, the most basic problem with humanitarian aid and support entering the Gaza Strip is that it is not allowed to enter in the sufficient amount through the borders. So even if there are so many organizations that are trying to lend a hand, they're trying to support and they're trying to, to, to enter the aid, the major problem stays to be the entering of those aid trucks. I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of aid trucks are still right there outside the Rafah border. They're not allowed to enter into the Gaza Strip. And they, just entering them, could actually end a lot of suffering for the people. They could end the state of starvation for, for, for over 2 million people in the Gaza Strip. And then you have the other problem of aid not entering or, or being allowed to enter to the north and to Gaza City. And, and that's, that's because of the Israeli measures there and the Israeli restrictions there and the, the, the siege on the north and Gaza City. 
Rushdie, there is concern about Rafa operations expanding into Rafa. I was trying to get a better sense of that situation on the ground from my, but I'm wondering if you could tell us if that is top of mind for people there and what they will do if it does expand. Yeah, that's, I think, what the people are more uh, worried the most uh, now because uh, look what's happened in, very quickly. In October the 12th, the Israeli army asked about 1.5 million people to leave Gaza City and the north to the south, to the middle and the south. And now, the, when the operation started in Khan Yunis, most of the people who already, any the first hand fled from Gaza and they went to Khan Yunis, and now they are squeezed into this tiny city called Rafah near the border. Hundreds of thousands, maybe 1.3, 1.4 million people are living in this uh, in this place, and they are right on the Egyptian border. And imagine if the tanks are started to move into Rafah area, where the people would go. This is a very sensitive issue for Egypt. I think they were all the time talking to the Israelis about this. And on the ground, there is no sign yet of any uh, you know movement of tanks in the area. But the people are talking about today and night. They are worried if the Israelis decided to move into Rafah is going to be very, very difficult, very catastrophic. Yes, we'll have more with Rushdi Abba Alouf and the other journalists, Palestinian journalists, after the break. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're with Palestinian journalists talking with them about what they've seen, heard, and lived through uh, of a war that's killed more than 28,000 people, it's believed, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, and taken an immense toll on survivors over these last four months. We're talking with Rushdi Abu Alouf, Gaza correspondent for BBC based in Istanbul. We're also talking with Yumna Al-Seed, Al Jazeera English correspondent in who was in Gaza, now speaking to us from Egypt. We've also been trying to get uh, my Yeri, a correspondent for AFP, currently in Gaza, and Adel Zanun, the bureau chief for AFP, also currently in Gaza, uh, who are trying to share their stories with us and, and heroically trying to do that under the circumstances that they are under. And we are so grateful for the effort that they are making, despite the incredible uh despite the incredible challenges with regard to electricity and internet service, but also just food, water, and other needs that they also have expressed difficulty in trying to secure. Adele has shared a written comment with us so that we can at least hear from him (laughs) this way as the actual connection of hearing his voice has gone in and out so much. 
Adel Zanun writes, the biggest problem we face as Palestinian journalists is that I cannot balance between family and work alone in this war because there is no safe place. I cannot provide protection for myself or my family, and we are suffering from communications and internet cuts and difficulty obtaining food, water, and medicines. My appreciation to Adel Zanun, bureau chief for AFP, for trying to join us today and for giving us that glimpse into what his life is like and so many others in Gaza right now. Uh, So... Amid these escalating airstrikes, Rushdie, the concerns in Rafa about it growing, there is talk of a framework being hammered out for a truce. Can you update us on that? Yeah, we just got some news uh, even from Gaza that people were like in a, uh, like celebrating what, what it turned to be like not accurate news about uh, a, new, a new ceasefire. Mm-hmm. What I understand is that... The, uh, following this uh, meeting in Paris, uh, there was some framework that was given to Hamas three days uh, three days ago to study, and and, and st- talking about three stages to end uh, this war started with uh, like forty five days of uh, exchanging all the uh, Israeli civilian hostages within Hamas in an exchange for a certain number of Palestinian prisoners in the Israeli jails and. Uh, allowing more aid into uh, Gaza. The second stage will be the most important stage. And in in this stage, they will exchange the Israeli soldiers with some of the uh, also unspecified number of Palestinian uh, prisoners. And the third stage would be uh, uh, like, you know, handling back the bodies uh, that will, uh, some of them were died in Gaza and some of them were taken on the uh, 7th of, uh, of October. But I think we, we should be careful because it's still uh, very early to talk uh, about, uh, you know, uh, progress on that. It's still early stage, still, you know, uh, talks and uh, negotiations. And it's very difficult this time and it's going, it's going to take time. Uh, before we see uh, uh, this war uh, is ending. But uh, for the first time, there is some hope that things might go in the uh, right way this time and uh, we might see an end for this. But uh, yes, it's a very complicated issue. It's a very difficult issue to solve in a matter of you know uh, days and uh, we understand from our sources in, 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 uh, in Hamas. I've been recently to, to Qatar and I saw Hamas people there. And uh, yes, it is going to take time. Yumna, I don't know if you have thought about this, but do you see yourself ever returning to Gaza, Yumna? Well, Nina... I wish I could return to Gaza like today before tomorrow. Honestly, I really want to more than anything else. But I know that unfortunately, at the time being, Gaza has become unlivable. When you're talking about a place that have has been destroyed, like over over 70% of the entire strip has been destroyed. Me as a mother talking to you now with with children, I think about their schooling. I mean, 
my children and all Gaza children have lost the school year, right? They've lost the school year, their universities, everything. To go back in, 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 in these, in this time, or even in, in the upcoming years, in the near future, we're talking about a mass destruction that I'm not even sure how many years it's going to take to rebuild Gaza again, to rebuild the homes, to rebuild the schools, the hospitals. Where are people going to live? Where are people going to stay? I lost my homes there. I, I lost everything. Like you, you're talking about a place where you lived your life, you, you established a life there, and then in, in, in a matter of day and night, you just lost everything. You became homeless, you, you lost all your belongings, you lost, we traveled from Gaza, literally, with two plastic bags. And, and, and you're talking to Al Jazeera correspondent. I'm not someone who's uh, jobless, I'm not someone who's, um, who's uh, fr like uh, a normal or uh, a very, like, like any of the other residents who, who have uh, financial difficulties or anything like that. But the situation in Gaza now has forced everyone to be the same, has forced everyone to be homeless, has forced everyone to be jobless, to be without money. And, and to go back in that state, it's, it's, it's something that's it's, it's really, you know, indescribable yes. because you're talking about other people with you, hanging with you. I'm not just talking about me. I'm not just one individual. I have a family that I need to look after. And knowing all this, knowing that it is unlivable, what is the pull then? Where do you think it comes from to want to have to go back to Gaza yesterday? What is that tapping into? Because it's the worst feeling ever when you're forced to leave your land in that way, the way we were forced to run for our lives, run for, for, for our children's lives, to save their lives. We went out of Gaza and like I went out on the 72 days after 72 days of the war. I left after 72 days because it was the only option I had to save my children's lives. But to be forced to live in that state, in that condition, in, in, in this way, to be forcibly displaced and, 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 and pushed out of your land like that, that is, that is just like a stab in your heart that hurts more than anything else. My Yeri, a correspondent for the AFP in Gaza, is writing in now saying, I'm like everyone else here looking forward for a ceasefire. The last four months have been catastrophic and a struggle as a human and a journalist. I want to leave Gaza, but I also feel guilty to do so and to leave everyone behind. People are exhausted and tired, and so are journalists. Rushdie, what has been the hardest part for you and your wife and kids being away from Gaza? Well, they miss everything in Gaza. I mean, they grow up in Gaza. I mean, the Gaza is the place that we are belong to. Uh, I got married there. I, 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 I worked there for 27 years and 
my kids where they used to live normal life they used to have friends and school and and horse club and uh, you know uh, life real life i mean they they miss everything in this life i mean i'm trying hard here to you know try to make them look or feel uh, better every day they remember something there they remember their toys there they remember their kids they remember their friends they they have a uh, two teachers from their school were killed they have uh, uh, school, uh, you know, colleague uh, schoolmates were uh, killed in this war. So it is going to take very long time, even though we are outside. But uh, they still follow what's going on in Gaza because their friends and their loved ones are there. Their grandmother are there. Their, you know, aunts and uncles and the whole life. We are not talking about somebody who, like, you know, came to cover a story. Yeah. Our life, where, yeah. We lost everything in this life. But for me personally, yes, I will go back to Gaza as soon as the situation allow me to go back. I won't allow my family to live the same scenario again because I can't see any hope on, uh, you know, on changing the uh, situation, uh, at least for the next couple of years, I think. And I can't imagine how both you and Yumna are trying to communicate about this war to your children. I want to ask you about something else, Rushdi, which is the New York Times reported that some journalists are sleeping away from their relatives, fearing that their presence endangers them. There have also been, of course, calls from international organizations and NGOs, the Reporters Without Borders, the Committee to Protect protect journalists that are asking for inquiries and investigations into the killings of Palestinian journalists, their deaths. There's fear among Palestinian journalists that they're being targeted. And I'm wondering what you think about that, Rushdie. Do you think that there has been targeting? Yes, imagine. I mean, we have decided, we have to, one of one of the uh, main reasons for us uh, that we decided to leave because we are not feeling safe. And we were not feeling safe during the during the war. Not only our family, but us as a journalist, we were not feeling safe. The uh, uh, the AFP office was hit. The Reuters office was hit. The Al Jazeera office was hit. Uh, many, many, many of the uh, building that is housing uh, tens of uh, journalists and media offices were destroyed. We have over hundred journalists were killed. We have. Journalists who were like they lost their family members. It's it's the uh, I think the number of journalists killed in this war is the highest, maybe the biggest in any other war I have ever witnessed or I have ever uh, seen in in, uh, in my life. So uh, a very dangerous situation for uh, for the journalists, and you know they are feeling they are feeling that they are they are targeting. The people who remain in Gaza, they feel they are targeted. They can't move freely. They always have fear when they go together or when they collect, like, you know, to do their to do their stories. And, and the core issue about journalism is to be able to move freely and to talk to people, to listen, to hear, to talk, to watch, to witness. That's the core job for any journalist. And most of the people who are inside now, they can do it. So what about the journalists like us who have to cover the story from outside, given the uh, difficult communication situation and given the uh, uh, lack of electricity and the lack of internet and the lack of communication? So extremely difficult situation for the people inside and not easy situation for us outside. 
Let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The listener writes, I just want to say how sorry I am for the people of Gaza. Why can't the U.S. provide ships to save Gazans by taking them out? Sam wants to know if the journalists can comment on recent reports that civilian aid is being stolen and co-opted by Hamas. I don't know if you know anything about this, Yumna, but do you have any insight that Sam is asking about with regard to Hamas also taking civilian aid? Well, um, I'm going to talk about what I have seen in Gaza as, as, as long as I had been there. I have not seen Hamas take uh, the uh, humanitarian aid for itself. I've, I've seen, for example, policemen from Hamas trying to protect the aid trucks with the severity of, of, of hunger, uh, hunger situation that the people and the starvation that the people have been going uh, um, through and, and how much they're trying, the, like despite the aid that's entering, it's, it's, very, it's very little Do you in have consideration any... to, the, yeah. to the amounts that are needed. And I've seen them trying to protect those trucks so that they are delivered to the United Nations, to UNRWA uh, uh, stations where they can distribute that aid. Do you have any insight on this, Rushdi? Look, I mean, the, when, the, when the war started, the, most of the Hamas police station were targeted. Most of the Hamas uh, uh, security compound were targeted and the, the the law and order was not that great. Uh, I mean, the best in, in many of the area. And, and yes, we have seen people trying to steal you know, the aid. Uh, some of them were uh, doing it because they are hungry and they want to to get some of the some of the aid, some of the uh, uh, truck coming into uh, uh, Gaza. And, and and some other people were people were talking about. Some gangs trying to steal the aid and sell it for like a very high price in the in the market. So the the whole security situation on the ground isn't isn't good. You know the Hamas lost control. Hamas police lost control in some of the uh, some of the areas, especially in Gaza City and the north. They are trying to maintain law and order in the south, uh, especially in Rafah, where the tanks are not operating and they can uh, move it's like freely, but Yes, the, the situation is catastrophic. We have seen images of people trying to steal the aid, and we have seen people trying to do it sometimes because they want uh, uh, this food to survive. And other stories about some gangs who were trying to steal this and sell it uh, for higher price. Yes, but that is the thing with so so with such difficulty getting stories out and and aid. Uh, I'm sorry, and information from journalists. Um, it is. It opens up space for for having very confusing uh, reports. Lori commented, "We are incredibly grateful to these journalists. You are hearing a lot of appreciation for the efforts that you have made." Rusty, we were talking earlier about um, about the incredible death toll and about concerns about whether or not you know journalists are are being targeted and so forth. I do want to ask you about someone that you have lost that you described as like a son to you. Could you tell us about Roshdi? Yeah, I mean he's he's quite uh, young. 
very talented, uh, very nice person that I used to meet in the hospital like every day. And, and, and uh, um, I know him during the, uh, the protest near the border, what is so-called the Great March of Return uh, protest. I used to see him like uh, all the time. He was, you know, just representing the new generation of the journalists in, in Gaza will... And, and and you know he's he's having the same name name as me and it's not a very common name in, in, in Gaza so we are always known as the the, the I mean the two Rojdis and, and, and I remember <laughs> I, I saw him like one one or two days before he was killed in the hospital and uh, and I used to say him that we are little we only two Rojdis in, in, in the, among the journalists so don't be killed don't we, we, we don't want to lose you so. It was very painful, uh, I mean, to see just young, very talented, very good journalist is, is losing his life. Uh, I mean, you know, make you feel that uh, sometimes it's the end of the world when you see like this young, talented person. Uh, he was full of, you know, full of energy, full of hope and full of, you know. Uh, oh, yes. Well, Rushdie, we are... We are so appreciative of your effort to come on. Rusty Abba, Aluf Yumnail Seed, Adel Zanun as well, and Mai Yeti. Thank you all. This has been Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.